As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and it's time to talk some Major League Soccer. We've had coaching changes, LAFC losing, Sporting KC and Charlotte winning, cats and dogs living together, revenge games for Kevin Cabral and Joseph Martinez. Strange times in our league. Here with me to break it all down are two friends. Up first, a man who has not yet been sacked by the Chicago Fire. It's Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. (sighs) Thank goodness, Taylor. I was starting to get worried. I had a lot of potatoes recently. Like, just it's been a constant stream throughout my diet. And I was wondering if they'd heard about that, if that was going to negatively affect my status with the club. But um, it's it seems like you know more than I do. It seems like we're we're good right now. Evidently, I don't, because I don't even know what you're referencing. Do, are they anti-potato Chicago no, players? Joe it's nailed the, the potato joke last week. This I one just keep was bringing it up. a reach. I just keep bringing it up. It, it was a reach. I was reaching for it pretty aggressively, <laughs> but it's so good every time. Ezra Hendrickson, who's a person we're going to talk about in some detail on the show, gave the quote after they lost to Atlanta United. I think it was a loss where, uh, you know, right. are we going to be eggs or potatoes when we meet the water? Are we going to get harder or are we going to get softer? Again, I still can't shake this idea that, like, Ultimately, the egg does in some ways, it's still soft. Like, it's not like it's this rock. Mm-hmm. I, I struggle with it as a metaphor, but it was a banger of a quote. So there's that. <laughs> I appreciate you bringing that back. Thank you for that, Joe. Still employed by the Chicago Fire. Joining us is a man who has me check my messages. Just been fired by the Red Bulls. Sorry to hear that, David Gossett. Not the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Red Bulls firing people. The Knicks are down three to one. It feels like it's tough times for you. Is that why you're fleeing to Maryland? No, this is all pretty standard for me, actually. So I feel fairly comfortable in the chaos around me. I'm the dog at the table in the house on fire. Like (laughs) the Knicks suck. The Mets. Whoa. Spoilers. Huge curveball on this one. So, yeah. But my color team won last night. One zero. Afterwards, the referee told us as we walked away. Just so you all know, this was a friendly, right? It doesn't count for the standings. It's like, I don't know, man. I got a giant, huge bruise on my shin because I didn't know who it was a friendly. <laughs> Wait, are we talking 11 aside? 
No, sevens. Cohen. Okay. Right on. And and how is the team doing? Are you high up in the standings? We are or, like four- are you actually about to be sacked by the no, Red No, we are fourth or fifth. Okay. So we were on the playoff line. Then we were notified every team made the playoffs last week. Ah. But we thought we could jump the other team in the standings, was our understanding. And we won one ah. zero. We put our heart on the line. And we were told it was for nothing. Oh. And and your uh, your shin's on the line, it yeah. sounds like. That's always fun. I I yeah, I wore having played uh like adult league outdoor and then I also played an indoor team. I wore shorts this weekend for the first time since the weather changed and realized like just how banged up your legs look when you play soccer. It's not a great look. It really isn't. The older you get, the more you just look like permanently injured rather than like fit and ready to go on the soccer pitch. So Some maybe that's why I should just stay cool. behind a mic. What, the, the puncture wounds and mm-hmm. open wounds? Yeah. No, probably not. Yeah. I play with this woman <laughs> who is bleeding here. from her both her knees every single game. Oh, so and you played on turf? Yes. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I can literally tell you she has never fallen. Like, I don't know how it happens. It's just like, oh, the game has started? Blood. <laughs> that's 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 kind of how I work. It's it's the the Simpsons joke about like the worst boxer ever who as soon as the bell rings he just starts bleeding. Like yeah, that's 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 the way uh that's the way I tend to go, especially turf where I forget about turf until I slide once and then I'm like, "Why does my entire right side hurt?" Oh right, it's cuz all that skin is gone. We don't need to start off this way uh on a Tuesday morning. This is too gross too quickly. Let's instead talk about some Maybe negative situations with two uh, teams in MLS. Let's start with the Red Bulls. Mutually parted ways with head coach Gerhard Struber. Interim manager uh, Troy Lassane taking over for the rest of the season. Uh, Joe, how mutual did this feel to you when you saw it announced? When I saw it announced, it didn't feel particularly mutual at all. And and I'm Mm -hmm. sure there are many parts of the situation that I am not privy to. But the Red Bulls are sitting on the bottom of the Eastern Conference. They've dealt with a lot this season, both on the field and also on the field, but not soccer-related, regarding Dante Venzier's suspension for using a racial slur against the San Jose Earthquakes. There was some controversy around how Gerhard Struber handled that situation, not you know immediately taking Venzier off, not you know maybe responding in the in the way that he should have in that moment. Red Bull actually came out and said like that didn't play a part in this at all. Like if we had real concerns about how Struber had handled that situation, we would have cut ties then. Essentially, is what was said. So. Either way, it has been a chaotic start to the Major League Soccer season. We're, we're basically a third of the way through the year. And the New York Red Bulls have nine points at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Now, I do fall into the camp, pretty aggressively into the camp, that says this team is significantly better than where they are on the table right now. I think, and I, I saw John Miller tweet this, and I totally agree. I, I, I think Troy Lesane will look like a genius. Whether he is or not, we won't really know maybe until next season if he gets this job. But former New Mexico United head coach was also involved in the front office there. This is his first stint as a coach of a first division team. But like the Red Bulls are going to bounce back. They're going to get the new manager bounce because they're better than, than what the record indicates right now. They're extremely good defensively. The press is working. They are creating some chances. They're not maybe like a, a truly elite team in MLS, but... I think for culture reasons, for locker room reasons, and maybe just because it didn't ever seem like Struber was truly bought in, I, I do think there's some validity behind making this move at this point. Let's talk about some of those points really quickly, because when you say a team will make the playoffs, is better than they look, will eventually start performing, the new interim manager will look like a genius, that all says to me that the former manager, since sacked, Garrett Struber, uh, is the problem. Like, is that basically the 
the TLDR of this situation that the coach was just the wrong person for the position? I think that's part of it. I think Red Bull's problems go significantly deeper than that, and maybe we'll get to some of that stuff. I think there are a lot of different factors here that limit their ceiling as a club right now. But in terms of just like, you know, being a top five team in the Eastern Conference and and doing some good stuff in MLS and just kind of humming along, I do think there's some blame to go on Struber here. You know, he he's a Red Bull guy. He goes over and coaches Barnsley, ends up in Major League Soccer. Just like I said, didn't ever really give off the the vibe with some comments that he made at, at end of seasons and, and just never really felt like he was somebody that wanted to be here and wanted to lead this group. We did get the, I don't know if it ever went viral, but I tweeted it again yesterday because it's a, a really good gif. We got the gif of him like drinking water for the first time out of one of those squeezy bottles <laughs> where he just like squeezes it and then waits and squeeze, like he does it like four or five times over the course of maybe eight seconds. It's enchanting and you can't stop watching it. We did get that, but like really we didn't get any any real fruit or major growth from this club during his time <laughs> with the New York Red Bulls. So in some ways, yeah, I, I do think their struggles fall on Struber, but but I like I said, I still expect this club to get better fairly quickly. Now we yeah, have guys, to. I just want to I just wanted to interject really quickly just to make sure you're on the same page. It sounds like Joe is saying that the highlight of Gerhard Struber's managerial tenure with the Red Bulls was the way he drank water. Are are you a, a, of the same page? Are you on the same uh, position? It sounds like it. It also sounds like, to his credit, Gerhard Struber commitment didn't try it once, didn't try it twice. Didn't try it three times, tried it four times. Wait, oh, so he failed. He didn't actually succeed? Wow. Like, he didn't open it up? He did, but I think I think he knew there was room for his technique to improve. Like, that's okay, how I okay. would read that situation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he did finish fourth in the East last year. Like, there's there was some quote-unquote success overall. Um, I think I agree with everything Joe said. I think the biggest part of this whole thing is the feeling that he was halfway out the moment he got in. But... On the field, he is so committed to pressing and direct style and the Red Bull style that I think the team has regressed in the way in which they have less options of how they can beat you. And that, I think you've seen play out this year really poorly. The other thing that stands out to me, and this is, I think, a decent debating point because you can feel however you want. His teams were always most successful playing three center backs in a back five. He consistently wanted to play a back four and therefore never really signed a third center back. And I'm okay saying, oh, Tom Edwards is a center back to me. Like, that's fine. That's not what they felt. Like, they always had to put a third center back in their starting lineups who was naturally a fullback because he was like, no, I'm going to play a back four. So we only need to sign two starting center backs and then was never able to make it work competitively and therefore always had to switch back. That's a smaller, more specific thing. But I think it sort of goes to the idea of like Red Bulls don't spend at a high level in Major League Soccer. So you have to make the things you have work. They then wasted resources in moments because they weren't really sure what they were trying to make work. And they ended up probably behind the talent they have, which is what Joe talked about. Do you feel like it is, if not, maybe not natural, but like always going to be the case that a Red Bulls coach is going to have a foot out the door with them being sort of the Red Bulls program. They've got all the different clubs. It does feel like a springboard to larger leagues, larger European leagues at that. Like, is this something that's always going to be the case when it comes to whoever is in charge of the Red Bulls? I'm not sure. I think that's a really good question. Um, and I think this is going to be a really 
interesting example in what happens with Troy Lassane. Because Troy is American, coming up from USL. Like, I don't think a year and a half ago, two years ago, if you asked, Troy Lassane was like, yeah, I'm going to coach in Europe. Right? Like, he was hoping to coach in Major League Soccer. First, as an assi- like, he left a head coaching job for an assistant job because he understood sort of where, he's, where he stands. Um, and I do think he's someone who, if you support him and can build a winner, he would stick around. Now, in saying that, I think a lot of people would have said that about Jesse Marsh. He didn't. I think Jesse's unique in the American system because of his connection to Bob and that Bob went and pushed boundaries and went to Europe and went to Egypt and was like, I can coach anywhere in the world. And I think Jesse took a lot from that and obviously spent time with him in those places. And so I think he's unique. But now Jim Curtin's saying it. And I think people thought Greg Vanny was going to interview. And I've heard in the past that guys like Nico Estevez and Luchi Gonzalez have interviewed in their interview process to get their next job. European teams were involved. So it's not outside the realm of possibility anymore that an American or Canadian can go coach in Europe, which changes the trajectory of things or changes the parameters you're operating in, where it's not just like MLS national team. That's it. But I would say this is probably the one time that Red Bulls could hope that someone would stay. And with Struber, his family stayed. And, like, he's from Austria. Like, he's from the place that they run a club in. That one was never going to happen. I do think there are people who would probably come and stay. But you need the support. And I don't think any manager feels that their main focus of the club they work for is to support them so that they yeah. can win as much as possible. Yeah, and that's that's a big issue as far as the Red Bulls in a more macro sense go right now, is that they're they're not a relevant part of the Red Bull football group. Like, they're not. There's clubs in Brazil, there's Salzburg, there's Leipzig. Like, Red Bull should be this, this cog in a machine, and we've seen with NYCFC that at least in a sporting sense, that can be successful. You take advantage of the other clubs in the group, you bring in players, you sell them on, everybody benefits, right? That's the that's the theory. Maybe Man City less than anybody else because they're just so much better than any other rung in that ladder. Like there's so there's such a big gap between them and Girona, right? And everybody else is a little bit closer together. But New York Red Bulls don't do that stuff. Like the last player that they moved on up the ladder is Caden Clark, who's sort of like floating around the nebula somewhere over Germany. Like he's at Leipzig right now. Tyler Adams is the most high profile and and has been one of the biggest success stories of the Red Bull football group ever. But I mean, they're they're not really moving players on. That will start to change as as somebody like John Tolkien goes and whatever. But they're also not bringing players in, right? They're not a, a meaningful part. And I don't know, guys, you probably know better than I do. I don't know whose fault that is. Like, I don't know if that's Red Bull Global being like, yeah, we actually don't care about you at all. You have a cool stadium, but we're just going to let you hang out in MLS and, and we don't really care whether you make the playoffs or whether that's New York Red Bulls just being horrible at identifying talent. But you go through and you look at the players they brought in. We were talking a bit before the show started. Carlos Colonel is probably the, the highest profile one that they have brought in. Former RB Salzburg player ends up going to the Union first on loan from Salzburg then goes back to Salzburg, and then comes to MLS with the New York Red Bulls. Like, he'd already been in Major League Soccer with another team, 
Red Bull see him and say, all right, well, I guess I guess we'll go sign that guy. Like the other players that they've signed from Salzburg are players that Taylor, if I read through the names, you legitimately would not know if they were real soccer players or ones that I had asked ChatGPT to generate before we hopped on the show. Like they're not they're not players I that play, I want to play that game, by the way. Okay, maybe maybe I can pull up the list afterwards. I was looking before we started it, and then I decided I'm not even gonna write these down because Taylor's not gonna believe that they're real. But like that's that's what we're talking about here. Like they're not bringing in game-changing attackers. They're not actually a meaningful part of this space. They're not a meaningful part of this group. And so if you're Gerhard Struber, if you're the Red Bulls right now, you know, Struber's out, of course. Like, I don't understand really what they're doing, what the purpose is, you know, why Struber would have been motivated to stay. There's just so many layers to this. And ultimately, I think a lot of it comes back to the fact that Red Bull, the New York, the New York branch of the Red Bull football group is not a relevant part of that family. For that to be the case, and yet we're talking about a, a, a New York team, New York, a, a fairly prominent city in the United States and the world. That, Should that's I go a get my strong... New Yorker nowhere hat, or are we good for now? <laughs> go, yeah, go, go put that on. Okay. Uh, like that, that is a pretty big issue in, in my mind. Da- David, would you agree that like to have a team of that profile and that history, uh, going all the way back to the Metro Stars, for them to be a feeder club that isn't really even being utilized as a feeder club, but instead sort of like, I don't know, a stagnant pond. It's not, it's not, I think the best look, it makes me wonder if they were bought by monster and monster had their own, uh, like brand of clubs. Are they in a stronger position because they're, uh, flying on their own as opposed to part of a larger group that maybe doesn't always prioritize them. You know, it's really an odd question because. Oh, the monster energy one was an odd question. You sure? I'll tell you that if we brought people in from Red Bull, like they would tell you they're connected. The youth teams mm-hmm. go over to Leipzig for tournaments every year. The Mario Gomez comes and plays in a freaking pickup tournament every year here in New York. And like back in the day, Ralph Ragnick would come and watch youth trainings for weeks and go to Red Bull two games and go to Red Bull games. And Jesse March obviously back the, went back in the day, though, right? Like, ob- yes, a hundred percent. And but it's odd because everything about it should fit like. You buy a team in Brazil because you want to produce players and bring them over. New York and New Jersey is Connecticut. Like, that's just as rich a talent area. Not historically like Brazil, but it is in the U.S., which is an untapped David market. So says Connecticut as good as Brazil. Just want to write that one down real quick. Cool. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. The Portuguese in Connecticut would agree with me. So I have some support <laughs> there. Um <laughs> So there isn't like a really clean answer for that because they would say they are committed and they are connected. I think you're looking at the limitations of what Red Bull is compared to CFG of just like pure resources and the resources they've put in globally. I'm sure there are fans in Brazil and fans in Austria who would say the same, right? Like, so we don't, I I can't speak to that exactly. Um, I will tell you Red Bull is one of the thinner clubs in Major League Soccer, which is always something that stood out to me from like a pure staff point of view not just from a soccer side, from a business side as well. And that's never really made sense to me. I think there's an element of Red Bulls when they bought the Metro Stars. MLS cost X. And now MLS costs X times seven. And I don't know that that's what they signed up for. And I don't know that they've operated or shifted with the same speed at which the league has shifted. And this is a conversation that we know people are having at the MLS league office level of like, old clubs versus new clubs and keeping up and being relevant. And that's a bigger thing, but it doesn't feel like the Red Bulls changed with that. And it doesn't really make sense. And just to put a capper on 
this whole thing and what Joe brought up before about Carlos Cornell coming to Philadelphia. I think Tyler Adams is a better player than Brendan Aronson. And Philly got, what, three times as much money out of Brendan Aronson from Red Bull than Red Bulls did for Tyler Adams. So it just goes to show, I think, the lack of quality in the relationship for the New York, New Jersey-based team. Taylor, can we play our game before we go to break quickly? I've just got three names sure. for you. One is one is a real former RB Salzer player that was then loaned and, and played for the New York Red Bulls. Two are generated by ChatGPT, and you have to guess which one is which one is real and which ones are not real. Oh, no. All right, here we go. Okay. Maxi Schallersteiner, Yuba Diara, Fatumata Keita. Which of Ooh. those three do you think is the real former New York Red Bulls player? The second one. Yeah. Dang. How'd you know? Do you just guess or do you actually know him? Uh, I guess based on what sounded like the most realistic name that wasn't the over the The first name Chad. did not sound real. It, uh, it, no. I, I had and to I ask figured, for a few to get to even that level of reality. So, <laughs> I also figured Joe wouldn't go with the real. There's a little bit of strategy here. I figured Joe wouldn't go with the real one first. Oh, game theory. Game theory. Oh, my goodness. Well, you're right. It, it still goes to say, like... And Gus, I think you've said it all well in terms of of like staffing and and the changing landscape of MLS. Like th- this club has an identity and a tactical sense. They have a style of play which can aid in terms of youth development, which can aid in terms of how you go out and recruit players and do all those things. They just which, haven't really. Go ahead, yeah, go ahead. Just to throw in, also your baseline, they currently hold the record for consecutive playoff appearances in MLS. I so it's I not reject terrible. the meaning. I reject the meaning of that statistic. I like nothing makes me angrier than that being cited as like a good thing in MLS. It's like it's absurd though. And, and Red Bulls, that is the bar, right? Like that's they, the bar for them. Is, like that. is let's make the playoffs. <laughs> let's make the playoffs, and then what? Like there's no there's no upward trajectory for this club. They're not a meaningful part of this family. They don't sign good players. Like you can go back through and look at their designated players. Luquinhas has been a complete bust. He has been a really below average Major League Soccer player, well below average designated player for the Red Bull since coming from Poland. He is hyped to be this, like, you know, I guess Sasha Kleschen replacement, sort of even coming years after as this smooth attacking midfielder. He has not been that. Dante Venzier hasn't worked out for obvious reasons. Patrick Klamala, no longer a part of the team, was a designated player. Drew Yearwood, uh, okay. Josh Sims, Kaku was not a hit. Like, you can go back on the list and you're looking at bust after bust after bust. And the same will apply to Chicago when we talk about them. Mm-hmm. Like, not only are the Red Bulls not like a part of their their family, like they're sleeping in the outhouse or whatever it is, but like they're also not doing themselves any favors because they don't sign good players. So even if you're not going to be like an actual part on a senior level of this family, like go out and sign good soccer players. Like do your job well, forget the rest of the context around you. And I know those things are inseparable to an extent, but like, yeah, it, it, it's frustrating. And Red Bull's ceiling as a club is significantly lower right now than it should be. And Garrett Struber was a part of that. He's no longer a part of that. And we'll see if this new era can help drive them into a more positive direction. I have one more question about the Red Bulls. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll, I'll ask that one. You all will answer it. And then we'll get to Chicago and some other news as well. Back soon. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Welcome back. Still talking about the New York Red Bulls and their present situation. You have both, I believe, at various points said that you expect them to be in the playoffs and maybe they'll make a deep run. We, you never know. But what does improvement look like if that's the case? Because it, it feels to me like it's a situation when even if they do make the playoffs, even if they do go on a run and sort of regress to the mean, both of you are still going to be like, eh, well, well, let's see what happens going yeah. forward. Like, it doesn't seem like just making a playoff run is a sign that things are improving. Yeah, and and almost, Taylor, the question you're asking there is like, what matters in MLS, right? Like, what yeah, what basically. what makes you a meaningful player? Like, what what will fulfill you as a major league soccer club? And for me, and I kind of got at it in the last segment. Like, it's not making the playoffs. Like, 62 percent of these teams make the playoffs. It was still a high number before they expanded it. Like, if that's your bar as a club, I don't I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why that is like the thing that guides you because it's not impressive. It's just not. So for the Red Bulls, you know, even winning MLS Cup. Like, for me, that's not enough. Like, this club in a gigantic market in this league, they should be a consistent contender. They should be a team that is involved in high-level conversations about the league. They should be a model club, and and they're not, right? So, Taylor, you're talking about what improvement looks like. It's identifying a coach who really does care and, and really does believe in, in what you're doing and wants to be a part of taking this club forward. Goss, I know you're super high on saying I don't know him. You've, you've chatted with him before. You know, hopefully he is that guy. And And... As somebody who enjoys American soccer, it would be cool to see a guy coming from USL to MLS doing something meaningful in Major League Soccer. I think that would be a really big thing for soccer in this country and for coaching in this country. So that would that would be a positive step. You also want to be competitive. And I mentioned this in the last segment as well. Like, get your signings right. Like, maybe listen to your analytics people that you have. Go through and, and like, build a roster that is impressive instead of always operating around the fringes. Like, invest a little bit into actual top level of your squad and and if you have a star or two and if you have a structure you have an academy you have a style of play like then we're actually talking about you as as a real club and for me almost almost all of those things have been missing for the Red Bulls for a, a while now what about with the Chicago Fire as we move from one uh, huge club in the league to another? Chicago Fire uh, sacking Ezra Hendrickson. He is out. Frank Klopas comes back on an interim basis. Sporting director uh, George Heinz remains, which seems to be a source of frustration for many Fire fans. <laughs> Goss, as a way to introduce this, would you rather be a Red Bulls fan or a Fire fan right now? Wow. <laughs> I would probably say Chicago. Okay. Um, I don't feel great about that. Yeah. But is that so that's a sign of just how how negative things are at both of these teams? Yes. Also, I think like Joe just talked about a lot of the problems and talked about a coach, and it's like coach doesn't put fans in the stadium. Coach doesn't make you market relevant. I think Chicago has a leg up in some of these categories that they have not taken advantage of but that exist that Red Bulls would need to still overcome. I think a lot of fans in Chicago and clearly front office thought that leaving Bridgeview and playing in Soldier Field would be a positive. Well, they spent the money to do that. Like that's a commitment to a level. They have 
I believe, the richest owner in Major League Soccer who has spent money on the roster. He hasn't spent it wisely. That's not really his fault. He's hired the wrong guys, but he doesn't choose the players. Um, So I think when you have, like, you own two stadiums, you play downtown, which is not positive for every city, but seems, people think, for Chicago, and you're willing to spend money to get over the top, I'd rather be a part of that situation. But it's funny because you call them a big club, and, like, I've professionally covered Major League Soccer for almost 10 years now. I've been a fan for 16, 17 Chicago has never been a big club in my experience. Like they uh, yeah, were, I guess I should say big market with a history yeah. in which they've won the league at least once. So no, they were know. for their first seven years. They were yeah. DC United. Like they were fill, you know, big big crowds, big time players. They won doubles. They won. They set records. Like they were. And then the Chicago I grew up watching was like relevant but not competitive at that level because they weren't really willing to like spend and get above the line when they were good under Dennis Hamlet and they've just been awful since then and so I think for Chicago fans there's few of them left because they've pushed so many people away um and the frustration as you mentioned with George Heights being the one doing this firing is he has now coached this team or sorry he has now run this team with multiple coaches they've been bad the entire time so how often can it be the coach's fault if the coach changes, other parts of the structure remain the same, and the results remain the same? People would then add in the coaches they've let go. Uh, Rafael Wicke, I believe, just won the Swiss League. Velko Panovic is third in Liga MX with Chivas. And now Ezra Hendrickson's out the door. So it may not be on the coaches, and that's where the frustration comes from fans, they've spent money on DPs. They have wasted it. And in MLS, you need a core of players, you need structure, and then you need that top-end talent. And they have completely struck out on the top-end talent side, and they've almost only focused on that at times. So there is no core, really. And that's for Chicago fans, like, how does it get better? I can't really tell you right now because I think you're getting most of what you can out of this group. Uh. This isn't entirely George Heights' fault, obviously, but they do also seem to be a team that has whiffed pretty significantly on every DP signing. I, I heard you all talking about this a little bit, David. Joe, I know you've got some thoughts, but it sounds like Blanco, Quatemac Blanco, is maybe the only one that has like fully hit. They've had a few partial hits and then a lot of misses along the way, which does, I think, speak to an overall vulnerability in the way they're evaluating players and bringing in talent. It's like I talked about with the Red Bulls earlier. You know, the the DPs for the fire have, have not been good enough. Like, straight up, right? I, I respect that they went out and signed Jakiri. I, I liked that signing at the time. I'm not going to revise my opinion on that now. It hasn't worked. He was a fine, you know, probably an above average number 10 in MLS last year. But that's not why you signed Shakiri, right? You sign him to do incredible things on the field. You sign him to put butts in seats. And realistically, are the fire any better off now? than they were when they signed him? The answer is no. So that's that's a challenge. But you look at the other players they brought in recently, and the other DPs that George Heights specifically has brought in since being hired as sporting director in 2019, Robert Barich was a bust. Ignacio Alaceda was a bust. Gaston Jimenez has been a net minus in all of his minutes with the fire, and is still around. Jairo Torres has been a bust. And he's, he's injury prone and hasn't really played a lot, so that's a bit harsh, but realistically in terms of the output you've gotten from the outlay you spent and what you pay him in the roster spot that he occupies, he has been a bust. So really, when you talk about the fire right now, 
a lot of this is the same stuff as, as the Red Bull stuff, right? Which is why I think it makes sense to talk about them together. And it's also fitting that these things sort of broke on the same morning. I, I like that a lot. It's poetic. But like firing Ezra Hendrickson is, is an attempt to put lipstick on the pig. That's all it is, right? I, I don't think anybody who has looked at the roster, anybody who's watched the fire play, anybody who, who even sort of just like reads or, or thinks about this can, can say that firing Ezra Hendrickson is going to fix the fire. I, I also think they're probably a bit better than the second to last team in the Eastern Conference, but like they're not in the top tier teams in MLS. They're not in the top tier teams in the Eastern Conference. They're likely not going to really cause much, create much noise in the playoffs. The problems for the fire go way deeper than the, the head coaching position. Like the problems for the fire start, in my view, with the roster and start with George Heights, who has missed on on basically every meaningful thing. Now, the, the thing I'll give him credit for and the fire credit for is on the talent development side, which they're doing a, a really good job of, genuinely a very good job of. Jan Duran comes in, young Colombian striker, is now in the Premier League, and they sold him for a lot of money. Gaga Slanina develops with the fire, starts last year, they trust him, they put faith in him, they sell him on, they make a lot of money. Now we're seeing Chris Brady starting goal for the fire, and Brian Gutierrez start as the number 10, even at times over someone like Shakiri. Like, they're giving young players a chance, and they're doing a good job, and the young players are good, straight up. Like, Duran was really good, Slanina was very good, Brady is good, Gutierrez is, is really good in my view. Like, they have the talent, and they're giving them chances, and they should because they're good enough to be in this starting role and, and to be in the starting 11. The challenge is, like, that's the only positive piece, and they need something else to be a, a real contender in this league. And, and at the moment, and Taylor, you and Goss kind of talked about this, they're just not relevant. And for a team in Chicago in a major sports league, or a league that's trying to be a major sports league, like that's that's a problem for everyone. We talk about it a lot, but like the name itself really doesn't help because you have the great Chicago Fire, you have the TV show. When you're making the argument that they're not a fully relevant team, that they are like the third Google results when yeah. you search them probably doesn't really help things in that way, which is maybe a metaphor for the larger situation in Chicago. Uh, Goss, I wanted to go back to something you said earlier about uh, the Soldier Field move, which is something that I thought made a lot of sense, would work out. Sounds like it has not. I'm revealing my ignorance here a little bit because I haven't paid probably that much attention to Chicago. Is it not working? Is it not the success that we thought it might be? No, no one goes because the team is bad. So it's like, I didn't know that it would work, by the way, because I've lived in two markets that have MLS teams that play in NFL stadiums. And like... I don't enjoy being one of 10. If it's 25,000 people, think about this. That sells out a soccer-specific stadium, and it's, like, borderline depressing at an NFL stadium. We're like, no one cares about this thing. No one's here. And so it's not a guarantee that the NFL stadium will work. I also think we, we being less the three of us and more people who <laughs> run who decide expansion teams in Major League Soccer, have fallen in love with the concept of a downtown stadium without actually processing each market in their own unique way. I do think Chicago's one of them. Obviously, Soldier Field's a place people are used to getting to. It will be interesting over the next few years because it sounds like the Chicago Bears are leaving or have left already. I don't actually even know the update on that. So you will now be the sole tenant. You can start to maybe make the stadium a little more specific to what you need. But none of it matters if you are not competitive and you're not fun and it's not a good product to be around. And Chicago rebranded twice in two years. And I don't even think it's that necessary. Like, I get what you're saying about the TV show and the Google thing and and it's true. But like everyone in Chicago knows who the fire are because they won a bunch of 
and people heard of them and they were like competitive and fun at the start. And so people can recognize that when they win things now, it would be like, yep, the Chicago Fire, I've heard of them. Where like in New York, it's like, mm, I didn't even know we had a team, which is a different market. So they don't have those issues to deal with. Bridgeview was probably the wrong move. It was too far away. It was a different time in MLS where it was like leaning into the suburban thing and it didn't work. And so credit that they moved it. But I don't think it was a fix all just like, oh, well, once we do this, everything else will be solved. I mean, is there a a fix all? Is there a solution? It sounds like obviously some of the Red Bull stuff overlaps. I, I think Ezra Hendrickson was a coach who did care. So maybe not that first point, Joe, but like be competitive, make smart signings like that. That seems like the bare minimum for what a team should be doing. And yet Chicago have been uh, the team that I think is the easiest to laugh at when it comes to Major League Soccer for a good long while, or at least in that sort of uh, conversation. And I know they're a team that uh, can get can make questionable draft picks, can can do some interesting things when it comes to how they build their roster. Yeah, it just it, it feels like consistently poor decisions yes. keep happening without much sort of correction. If, if we're talking about how to fix the fire, and some of this extends to the Red Bull as well, so their situation is more complicated as part of a broader group. Like, if you want to fix the fire, sign better players. Like, build a better <laughs> roster. That'll like, do it. We, I, I think about the two LA teams as a, as a perfect example for this. The Galaxy are the team still probably around the world that have the most recognition, but that's shifting, right? They're shifting all the time. Gus, was it was it you? I think I saw this clip of the of you maybe with the with the Cooligans about like sort of the closer you get to LA. Yeah, the, that oh, was this Kay- is Kalen Carr. That was Kalen Carr's Carr, line. Uh, who I don't know. Well, I've never met Kalen, but is is a, is good at his job, and that was a very good idea. Like the closer you get to LA, He's though, a regimental the, fan, so we the, the more you understand how flawed they are. Like like the more of a joke it becomes because the club has descended into chaos, and, and they're trying to fix that, but they haven't yet. Like LAFC have overtaken the LA Galaxy in their own market, actually, but partially by being in the heart of LA, but also because they, they're a better soccer team. Like they have a vision, they have identified talent, they have won stuff already, and it's been a long time since the Galaxy have won anything. If you want to become relevant in MLS, if you want to put out a compelling product that people want to come and watch, that you're going to sit in at Soldier Field and it's not going to be an embarrassment. It's not an embarrassment for Atlanta United playing in an NFL stadium. It's not an embarrassment for the Seattle Sounder. It's not even really an embarrassment for Charlotte, although you know the, the nuance and the, the, the new shiny toy will wear off and will become less shiny, and that could be a bit of a problem. But like, go win games. And you win games by having good players. You win games by having an identity, by having a coach who's bought into that identity that can help build this product, that can you know, start from the top and trickle its way down with the youth academy and with transfer signings. The Fire aren't doing that stuff. Like the fire don't have an idea of who they want to be. They're not all the way leaned into youth development, although that has been a positive for them. They're not signing good players. The top end of their roster is filled with players who are below average performers in Major League Soccer. Like if you want to be relevant, if you want to be a real player in this league, be good at your basic job, which is to go out and build a competitive roster. And and with Chicago, they haven't done that. And it's been a long time since they've done that. It's not as though Chicago is actively trying to build a poor roster, though. I mean, they're making signings that they assume would make them better. Like, doesn't that speak, Joe, to a front office that isn't making smart decisions? 100%. Basically, if you're being hired as a consultant to fix the fire, uh, are, are heads going to roll when Joe Lowry steps in? I would say, starters, congratulations. Thank you. Because we've not seen anything more evident from this whole conversation and this process than rich guys falling in love with like one random person and being like, uh, whatever that guy says, I'll just give millions of dollars 
if that dude with an accent tells me it's the right thing to do. I'm gonna so put congratulations, on my, Joe, on being added to the gravy train. I'm going to put on my George Heights like face mask, Mission Impossible style, <laughs> and uh, that's just going to be my new identity now because that, that is what's happened, right? Uh, if I'm an actual consultant, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my job and like really learn about the nitty-gritty insides of this club that I, I don't know about. But you know, from where I sit right now, yeah, it, it feels like if you want to make a meaningful move to fix your team, like hire, firing Ezra Hendrickson's like paperwork. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's a waste of everybody's time. Like do something meaningful and go out and, and get rid of the guy who signed a bunch of players that haven't turned out to be good, right? And, and I'm sure there are other issues. Like there's there's issues that go out beyond the roster building stuff. There's, I'm, I'm guessing, like community relations that could always be better for pretty much every single team. Like I'm not saying that you go out and fix the roster and all of a sudden like you're the greatest soccer team of all time. But that would help a lot. And it seems like, you know, making a meaningful change in the person that's deciding the roster is like a better thing to do than going out and like kind of wasting everybody's time by firing somebody and and going through this process on the coaching side. Sorry. And there's two issues in here because you have one issue is that um, the buckets that they're IDing and the others are the players they're IDing in those buckets. So with some MLS teams, and I think Chicago is an example of this, the understanding I think of like what succeeds in major league soccer isn't a hundred percent there. And so you look at some of these sightings, for example, FC Cincinnati, Chris Albright comes in, first thing he does, Obina Noboto. Teams that win in MLS have an elite number six that manages their central midfield that allows you to put other pieces around that. There's examples from top to bottom for MLS teams of like, what is a model that succeeds and then where and how do we find those players? I think there's half of this Chicago roster where they have not ID'd those properly and they don't understand what makes a winning team in MLS in terms of profile and position, then there's the other half where they haven't done poorly. They brought, you know, Mexican uh, young DP that they were like, yeah, the Mexican market doesn't really make sense, won't sell overseas. We get an opportunity here. Shakiri, again, as Joe said, I thought it was a good signing as well. It's an elite number 10 at the number that you spend, and those are the right buckets and they've ID'd the wrong players in those spots. So you have like the two issues here and you have to be able to at least fix one of them. If you were to fix one of them, you would be competitive. You would see a team. And I think we see teams in MLS who have DPs that don't hit, who are still able to fight for the playoffs. Nashville, for example, right? We talked last week, Nashville has literally hit on one international signing in their entire history, but they're third in the East. They've made the playoffs every year which Joe's not impressed by, because they're able to hit (laughs) on the other signings, which are the MLS ID players of like, we need a strong center back. We need a good domestic goalkeeper so we don't waste an international spot there. We're solid in central midfield. We have a base to build off of block. Or you have other teams where they're able to sign elite designated players and be competitive, even though the roster is a mess and they don't have the other pieces that have been able to fill in and make them maybe a cup contender, but you're still in a playoff conversation. Chicago has failed at both of those. We can we can do the playoff argument another time because I don't I don't know that it belongs on the show. Goss, are you like in the camp though? Just so I know where you stand, that making the playoffs is impressive, or or is it not impressive? Where do you actually fall on that? I mean, it's more impressive than not making the playoffs. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> I I would say in the Red Bull thing, to be in a league where the other teams haven't done that means you're doing something better than other teams. 
So if yep. everyone made the playoffs for 15 straight years, I'd be less impressed by what the Red Bulls have done. They have accomplished something in that path. Now I would understand fans saying, well, I'd rather sell out one year for Cup and not make the playoffs for a year or two after on like a short-term thought process than to make it. I could I could accept that thought process, but yeah, if only one team has done that, I think it's better than being a team that hasn't done it. I agree with everything you just said. All right. <laughs> Final question for this segment for me. Like, is it not, Goss, a, a, a condemnation of both of, of these teams that, like, what we're advising, what would be seen as success is, like, basically we're landing on, it's better to make the playoffs than not make the playoffs. It's smart to sign good players who make you a better team, and it's best to avoid signing expensive over-the-hill players who make you a bad team. All of that feels pretty obvious and yet we're saying those are the things that two i still say big teams are getting wrong like is that basically showing the depth of the ineptitude feels too strong at the same time we're talking about the two worst teams in the east it it just it's not as though we're saying here's this nuanced thing that went wrong that led to all these other little things that went wrong it feels like both of these teams are just sort of whiffing on pretty key areas when you want to be good it's also i think the point of the frustration is like so two years ago or a year ago the conversation we would have had about san jose was a lack of commitment that they had spent a decent amount of money on matias almeida because they didn't really want to spend money on the roster and that was like a cheaper way to go about it and then they wouldn't buy him out because they were too cheap to do that and so that conversation was about commitment it was about resources and then it was about roster chicago doesn't have that problem chicago has shown resources and commitment. So we're past those two conversations, which is why this is so tough because like it really does boil down to just the execution at the end of it. Red Bulls, I think as we expressed is a bigger overall conversation and there's other weird nuances to it, but there isn't like seven problems probably wrong with these. And there's also not the same problems that have been wrong with other clubs. Atlanta, when we had this conversation a year ago, if we would have had this conversation, it was a lack of organization in their front office. They have fixed that to an extent, bringing Garth Lagerwey in, who has a history of success. That's changed things. Columbus, five years ago, it would have been a lack of commitment and resources from ownership. They brought in Tim Bezbachenko, they signed Cucho, they signed Lucas Elarion, they won an MLS Cup. That has shifted. So there's different moments for different clubs. Some clubs, I would say, they don't use their academy. They haven't built it out. They haven't put any resources into it. That hurts their roster from the bottom half. Like There are issues for MLS clubs that are not the same that we ID'd on these two. I think these two are in a similar bucket in that they are big markets. They do have a level of resource and commitment and they just have used it poorly. And then the Red Bulls are a whole nother thing on that other side. Interesting. All right, let's take one more break and then we'll get back to talking about some other stuff that happened this past weekend. Back soon. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back, gentlemen. I want to talk about Sporting Kansas City for a moment. Uh, when I saw them host Seattle, uh, I, I said that Jordan Morris was maybe going to have some issues as that number nine. That was when he scored four goals. Uh, Sporting Kansas City get their revenge this weekend. Joe, they get yeah. a win. They're yeah. back to winning ways. Let's go. And this game also started, Taylor, with Jordan Morris playing as a number nine. If this is the game that you've gone to see, you would have sounded a lot smarter. See? I still know you're smart. Jordan Morris knows it too because he wanted to make you look good. He starts up top as the number nine. A bear like sort of underneath or next to him when they're in possession. Nicoladero shifted just a little bit wider on the right side and then Leo Chiu on the left. So Brian Schmetzer digging into his bag a little bit to to pull out some other tools. It didn't really work and we saw him go back to you know Morris a little bit wider later on in this game. But I do think it's interesting that Schmetzer is showing some tactical wrinkles. Really, it was a similar possession shape and, and transition, I think, was the main focus of putting Morris up top to try to have him and Ibarra go maybe 1v1 against Fantas and Rosero, 2v2, when you, when you had everybody into that equation. It didn't, like I said, it didn't really pay off, but I, I thought that was a fun wrinkle. SKC finally get their DPs back on the field together in Alan Polito, Johnny Russell, Gadi Kinda for 45 minutes at least, and they scored two goals in that section. I don't think they were dominant in this game but they were not played off the field by Seattle if anything they were they were probably the slightly better team in Seattle for an SKC team that hadn't won a game coming into this past weekend it's extremely impressive and and they looked guys I don't know if you felt this way watching Sporting Kansas City but I've talked about this with some folks if you sort of like didn't know any of the the baggage that has followed Sporting Kansas City through this year and you turn on a random game like maybe other than that Seattle game that four goal loss they look like a good team like, they look like a team that's capable of doing some stuff. Maybe not like an LAFC or Seattle contender over 34 games, but you watch them play for any period of time, and you're like, yeah, all right, this team's got something. And finally, this is the game that that actually showed what they can do. It's going to be a long road for this group still to get Keen to healthy, to get them integrated back into the team at their best. The fullback spots are still a bit of a question. They've gone through, like, 17 different fullback pairings so far this year. That's not the actual number, but it feels that way. 
So there are questions, and I don't want to say that everything is solved in Kansas City because there's still problems with their talent. There's been problems with their talent ID. There are bigger questions about this club as well that we won't get into today. But like, man, for a Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon, I knew when this game happened. Like, this was about as good as you could hope for if you're an SKC fan. I agree with you. I'm obviously just getting the win from the start, doing it at Seattle. I would say the one thing, if you were to watch them blindly, I do think up until this week, you could feel the tension in the final third. Like you could feel the squeeze anytime they got into the final third of like, can we generate a chance? Hmm. And I think that's where we've seen on the two ends, one of the failures is like, it hasn't been comfortable or natural the chances they've created, everything's been low percentage, shots from distance, shots with bodies in front of you. And then you see this game of like Kinda one touch layoff to Tommy, where like I don't think he's coming in with that experience. And then obviously there's a reason he's a DP wearing your 10 is that little higher quality. And I don't think Kinda is like a Zellerion or Reynoso or Ladero, but he's better than Roger Espinoza in the final third or Remy Valter or whoever the hell else you've been playing in those spots. So I think you saw an element of that, of like, it just was a little easier. But what I was surprised by was how comfortably they closed it out. A lot of times when you see a team that's like so desperate for points, it's that chaos of let's start going to the corners in the 73rd minute. Let's start trying to kill the game. And I actually thought SKC, even conceding the goal they did, played it out pretty comfortably. And I think that's where you look at this team and you're like, yeah, there's veterans, there's quality, there's... Alan Pulido's an international. Like, there are pieces here that are not what DC United has been in its worst years or Houston Dynamo or RSL. Like, that's why there's expectations around this group. And your hope would be that the reintegration of the DPs allows people to sort of, inside the club, to sort of turn the page and say, yeah, that wasn't us. Like, we're starting the season here and not dealing with the baggage we're carrying from nine or ten games. How are we feeling about the LA Galaxy at this point? Uh, losing 3-1 to one to the Colorado Rapids. Kevin Cabral getting revenge, I guess, seems to be the way it's been billed. Uh, scores the second goal. Uh, I, I had it as the go-ahead goal. I was incorrect. The Galaxy scoring late in this one. So it was 3-0 until the Galaxy pulled one back. But now we've got Sporting KC and the Galaxy in the last two positions in the West. The Galaxy ahead on goal difference. Joe, uh, not... Uh, continuing to not be the best of times for the Galaxy. It's just such a mess, man. Like, this is this is Greg Vanny going to one of the shapes that I've been calling for him to go to in that they start in a 4-4-2 diamond and just getting torn apart. Like, the, the reality for the Galaxy is we talk about, I've talked about their winger problems. I've talked about some of the roster construction issues. I've talked about ways to get their best players on the field together. And this 4-4-2 diamond is a step in that direction relative to where they were starting the year in more of a 4-3-3 shape. You get the wingers off the field is really the idea there because they're not very good at, at doing the things you want your wingers to do. But none of that matters. Like, I, I'm working on a piece about Thierry Henry and sort of like what his U.S. team could look like. And I came across a quote from Henry that's like, I think from his time with Montreal. Yeah, Jay, and, you did just make it sound like the U.S. had hired Thierry. No, 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 no not at all. For people who are like, wait, what now? Huh? Apologies, apologies. It's a fictional reality, <laughs> and that is made clear very early on. But I, I came across a quote. Goss's face is why I interjected. That would have been such a baller move, man. That would have been such a baller move to Joe Larry dropping that, breaking that news on a pre-recorded podcast. We all know it's going to be Alexis Guerrero's that breaks that news. It's not going to be any of us. So. 
it's it, it's this quote from Henri though that, that was talking about like you know tactics don't matter a ton if the effort isn't there and coaches talk about that all the time but that struck me as a reminder and it feels very fitting for this galaxy team like I can talk about shape this shape or that shape the diamond the back three whatever it is two strikers that literally does not matter if you cannot execute simple transition moments and the galaxy right now aren't doing that stuff the second goal it's the goal that Cabral scores the rapids just knife right down the middle of the galaxy shape Ricky Pooj is walking. The Galaxy's midfield is walking. They're out of position. The center backs are exposed. Like it is, it is horrendous defending in that moment. The Galaxy lose this game one to three. That's what they deserve. They don't look like a competitive team right now. They're not playing like they're really trying to compete. It is, it's sad at the moment. It, it really is sad for Galaxy fans. Shout out to Kevin Cabral got the goal against his former team that gave up on him. And then his brother scored for Rapids 2 against Galaxy 2 the next day in a 5-2 win. And he posted it on Instagram and was like, let's go. So Kevin Cabral having the weekend of weekends. I will say the the narrative around Cabral, it's all very good and fun that he scored that. Uh, it, it made sense for the Galaxy to move on, right? Like, I think it kind of made sense for everybody. I, oh, yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily frame it as like the Galaxy giving up on him. I think that's what happened. But just to be clear, I think that was best for Cabral. Galaxy fans were kind of done with it. It wasn't really working out with the Galaxy. But I came to you, Joe, and said... You get a get-out-of-jail-free card on this. Money yep. doesn't matter. You have to give up on Douglas Costa or Kevin Cabral. Who would you give up on? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, no, of course it would be Costa. Yeah, that's true. So if, if that's, that was I think, the framing, for him, I think for him, that's where it stands, where it's like, it's me. I'm Because the other part of what happened this weekend is this is the same roster. The Galaxy were not good last year. Chicharito can tell us as many times as he wants that if they beat LAFC, they would have won MLS Cup because the momentum coming out of that game and rivalry, garbage. It was a bad team last year. It's a bad team this year. And like the only change they made was getting rid of Kevin Cabral and bringing in Tyler Boyd and Memo Rodriguez. So we're maybe slightly concerned about the Galaxy then. Continuing to be concerned is what I'm hearing very with some of the decision so, making. Yes, yes very, uh, very. Less concerned. David, are you are you willing to, to start <laughs> thinking about buying your ticket on board the Vancouver hype train? Oh, I'm, I'm always there. Okay. Mainly because right. I love heartbreak and I like to be let down. So it normally <laughs> works out for me. Uh, and this is, this is what I thought we were going to see last year. Like it felt like the continuation of what Sartini built as an interim two years ago. I do actually question his ability to like manage this team as full time and have overarching ideas that you're building into over the course of the season. But there is a high floor of talent on this team. There are not a lot of weak spots when they're healthy. Um, They seem to, I think, use their home field advantage pretty well, which is like the energy in that building when the roof is closed is high. The turf runs fast and they are able to play that way. Um, and their huge hole last year was in goal. So Takayoka has been phenomenal. I think we talked about this last week. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor, in your honor while you were gone. I appreciate that. Um, Thank you. I had, oh, I put him in my goalkeeper of the year running already. That a boy. Um, they that are boy. one of the best teams defensively. He saved some penalty kicks. He's been big. They can play through his feet as well, which is huge. That was their biggest hole last year. Goal scoring is an issue. And therefore I think this team's going to go up and down, but the where they have gotten better and where I worry less is I do think Pedro Vite is elite and he's getting better because he's young 
And so I think that's another piece next to Gall that's consistent. Schopf, I think, is better than all the other center mids they've had in the last three years that they've sort of rotated through. So if he's healthy, I think there's more talent in those spots and the way they're using Julian Gressel. So I think for Vancouver fans, you should be excited. Um, I think this seems for real in the they are solid and competitive. I don't think they're in the MLS Cup or Supporter Shield debate. Uh, and I wouldn't put any I wouldn't put them in there with this roster probably at any point. Uh, I forget which one of you earlier said, like, putting in a a very good number six is a smart way to go about building a team. That was David Goss. Uh, Would Andres Kubas be Mm -hmm. uh, a candidate for that one? I think a good number six and and watch your team thrive? Yeah, I think he's elite. I think he's one of the five best in the league, and that's why they have the chance to be this team. Because I don't think you could play Gressel in central midfield if you didn't have Kubas. Gressel's an unbelievable ball yeah, striker. He's got a ton of energy. He doesn't cover the right spots. And you open and exposed when he's in that role because it's not his real natural position. And I think he's just not really comfortable with his positioning. It's not second nature. He's not closing on guys in the right spots. And Schaff now coming in, maybe it looks better. We've only seen one game. But I think in general, they leave a lot of gaps in central midfield. But it doesn't matter. Because Andres Kubas closes them off. He's tiny. He wins every tackle. I mean, there was a moment in the last game where they had a corner kick. They pushed all their center backs up. And Minnesota countered. And Kubas is the only player back and just physically dominates whoever he's going up against. And wins it back like he's Thiago Silva. And it's like, yeah, that's the smallest guy on the field. But he's elite. And he, he gives them that opportunity to push more numbers into the attack. Which is how they make up for the fact that they don't have one elite goal scorer. Yeah, one one other note on this game, not Vancouver, but Emmanuel Reynoso is back in Minnesota, and that saga takes another twist and turn. There still hasn't really been much reported or public discussion about why he was away from the team for so long, and I imagine at some point we'll get that, and we'll learn a bit more about what on earth has been going on, but he's back with this team, and Minnesota United fans should be happy about that because... They are desperately crying out for a player of his profile, and Reynoso is the guy who set the profile. So that should be a good step for them. Uh, a good step for Joseph Martinez getting a brace uh, in a 2-1 to win for uh, Inter-Miami over uh, Atlanta United. Uh, uh, Franco Negri picking up a red card in that game. So a slight negative there for Inter-Miami at the end, but I'm guessing they'll take that uh, plus the three points. It's a very like obvious, basic question, but it's, I think, the easiest way to go about talking about teams that are in the position that Inter-Miami, and I think they're 10th in the East right now. Joe, simply put, how are you feeling about this Inter-Miami team? It's, it's cool to see Joseph scoring. He talked about how it's the strangest moment of his career, strangest moment of his life, I think, second only to his son being born. I guess that was strange. Uh, but there's like a world in which Joseph Martinez is scoring, Inter-Miami are winning, life is good, but they're still 10th still feels like they've got a lot to figure out. So how are you feeling about their season thus far? They do have a lot to figure out. To, to be clear, they're only three points back of fifth right now mm-hmm. in Major League Soccer. So things are really compressed because of how Make early we are playoff. in the season. That's the bar, baby. Got to climb above ninth. That's where we should all be. Well, that's all where we should all be striving for. I, I don't feel very good about Miami season. Joe, you are permanently ninth in my heart. Oh, honestly, honestly, I will take that. I feel like that's extremely high. Yeah, right? Like, I think I should be probably a lot lower than that, but yeah. I'm honored. I don't guys. really know that many people. You're good. All right, that's good. Well, that works for me. <laughs> um, I don't feel great about this team because of how many injuries they've had, right? Like, Joseph Martinez can't really seem to stay healthy, and 
They're missing Gregory. Gregory, why did I say it like that? Gregory, they're missing Gregory, who is their like you know real rock in in midfield. And then they lost Mota recently for several months with an injury. That was their starting midfield coming into this season. Bryce Duke is gone now as well. That's the top three players on their midfield depth chart. All those players are gone. So not only are you missing the high level, deeper players that you you expected to come into the year, but your roster also is missing a playmaker to actually give Martinez and Campana service. And the unfortunate bit for Miami is they were always going to have to wait till the summer transfer window because they have to see what happens with Messi, right? You're not going to go out and and spend a lot of money on a number 10 if you have any chance of getting Leo Messi. And so they're going to have to wait till the summer window, which means they're going to be sitting through the, the majority of the MLS season without this player. Like they're, they're not really going to be all that competitive between now and then in my mind. It's not that they can't win games. Like they can't, right? They have individual talent that can get the job done, but they're right now an unremarkable MLS team. And that's a bit of a shame for a team in Miami. It's a bit of a shame for a team that, that could be adding, seems doubtful, but could be adding yeah. the greatest soccer player to ever touch the soccer ball and then step on a soccer field all in the same year. It's it's a bit of a bummer. They just have to play their games in Riyadh and then he would join them immediately. So yeah. the solution's pretty simple for Inter Miami. I will say, I agree with everything you said. Like, And it's not... I don't think it's a talent issue. Like, I thought David Ruiz was really good in this game. I think Kramaski's been phenomenal. Shout out to that pick, whoever pulled that one out of their hat on the... Uh, I think it was Taylor, right? Pick. Taylor, you did that, right? Yeah, the Taylor ESP nailed episode? it. Yeah, that sounds about right. Definitely. Um, mm-hmm. 100%. And Arroyo, who they brought in, I think has been fine. It's that then you have a lack of depth, which is like, I think David Ruiz just announced he's going to the U-20 World Cup with Honduras. And they have no depth to cover because Jean Mota and Gregory are out for the season. I will say, if you told me you have like this half middling roster, I would take Kamal Miller in that team over Bryce Duke because I think the yeah, strength now sure. is Drake Callender, Kristoff, and um, and Miller as your back, you know, goalkeeper and back two, which is a platform. I think now you say, okay, if we don't give up goals, we can throw Yedlin into the attack more. We can throw Negri into the attack more. I think that's a higher ceiling for them as a team. And I will say, outside of Joseph's goals, which, okay, he comes on, he scores a penalty kick, that's great. I think the more exciting thing for me watching this game was, like, you see the flashes of Campagna being a bit of a playmaker, of, like, finding gaps and sort of dropping in and hitting long balls, and then Kramaski on the side of a diamond or 4-4-2, whatever it is, finding some gaps. So I think all of that is really positive, but into miami They've handicapped themselves for the chance to sign Messi. So that's sort of going to be the story of their season. Yeah. When you do that and then you don't sign Messi, I think the story of the season is probably not overtly positive. But no one's uh, going to blame you, right? Their fans are not going to be like, you guys blew the season. Like, I can't believe we didn't make the playoffs and we gave that opportunity up to sign Messi. I I think with Iguain no, retiring fair. last year and like the T and so the question would have been, would they have kept Pasuelo? Do they go out and sign someone else like that? Yeah. And I think the bigger issue than signing Messi is that you've left a spot open for friend because you kind of have weakened your own roster because you're hoping you get PK or you have to get PK to get him, whatever that, uh, not PK, sorry. Wait, is Busquets. it? Busquets. Busquets, yeah. yeah. I, think one, yeah. I um, like the probably- idea of Messi just calling all of his friends friend. Like, hey, yeah. friend, <laughs> Busquets is friend, PK is friend, Alba's it's, friend. They're all friends. It's going to say on the back of his jersey, Messi, too. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with him. And then an arrow, and he has to constantly turn, so he's right. facing Messi all game. Um, so I think I, I just think you, you don't blame a team for that in that moment. 
Maybe you blame the league for the structures they've put in yeah. so that you're required to do that, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, it, it just sucks, right? Like, I agree with you. Miami kind of do get a free pass this year because, you know, they're the club that if it's going to be an MLS team that's going to get messy, it's going to be them. And so even if it means you sort of sit on your hands until you have a chance to do it and you suffer along the way, like, nobody's going to have any issues with you doing that. It just sucks that a team in Miami, like that any MLS team, but a team in Miami has to walk through the majority of a season with a pretty crappy roster and maybe fight for 2-1 wins or maybe end up with 2-1 losses. Like, it, it just kind of, it just sucks. Like, it, it doesn't make for a compelling product. It doesn't make for an interesting majority of the season. It's it's just kind of a waste of time. And for people who are curious why we're talking about it with this tone, it's because reports today uh, indicating that a deal uh, with for Messi to go to Saudi Arabia is, is very close, all but agreed. So uh, if it was Inter-Miami holding that spot for him to then go there... It does not seem like that's going to happen, at least if you believe uh, present reporting. So obviously Which, we'll keep an eye on that. Go ahead, Gus. I believe the reporting around Messi's been incorrect on pretty much everything. Yep. It feels like it's a tight camp, surprisingly, mm-hmm. for someone of this profile. It sounds like it's just his family. Exactly. His and so yeah. I I do not trust any... That doesn't mean I think he's going to Miami. I don't. But I don't trust a single report that comes out about him because I think it's all... I heard from someone who heard from someone who heard from someone... And then people saying like, oh, you have a messy report? Let's put that in. My best friend's sister's boyfriend's cousin saw Ferris pass out at 31 Flavors last night sort of situation. Exactly. There it is. There it is. Uh, well, Joe Lowry, you are number nine in David Goss's heart, which yes. looking at the supporters' shield standings means that you are the FC Dallas of David Goss's heart. I'm guessing you'll take That's, that. I love that, FC I will Dallas. absolutely take that. For Goss, that is like the highest praise out there. I'm honored, guys. This has been a great Jesus show. Jesus Ferrer and Paxton Pomichol of my life. Let's go. Uh, where would that put Matt Doyle, uh, David Goss? Uh, competitive, I think is, in, so the, is he like in the legacy SKC LA Galaxy Red Bull conversation. Oh boy, oh boy, and it's what a about legacy Andrew? clubs? What about Andrew Weeby? Let's get you in all the trouble right now. Competitive as well. Well, uh-huh. so Red, so Doyle's a former Metro Stars fan, and and Weeby's obviously Mr. SKC. So I think they stand where their clubs stand. All right, so 27th and 29th in your heart. What a shot at the playoffs. <laughs> uh, well, David Goss, thank you for that uh, specifically, but also everything else you brought to today's episode. I really enjoyed it. I don't know if we gave Red Bull and uh, Fire fans a lot to be hopeful for, but at least we talked it out a bit more, and I feel like I have a better understanding of where things have gone wrong. Don't sign Bastian Schweinsteiger is the TLDR for me. David Goss, thank you again uh, for your work today. My pleasure. And Joe Lowry, the same to you, my friend. Congrats on being FC Dallas. Man, it it is an honor. Again, great show. Thank you, Taylor. (laughs) Thank you all. Listeners, thank you all so much for sticking with us. We'll be back tomorrow with some listener questions. I believe no Ryan Bailey. So it will be myself, Joe Lowry, and Graham Ruthven. But we'll talk to you then. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub. 
an official partner of The Athletic.